Joshua chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 6, and let's read together. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now, Lord, open our hearts today to, that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray that you will give me clarity of thought and of speech and that you will help me to proclaim truth in a manner that is easily understood and in a way that is uh, transformative, not because of how I speak, but because of the word that you give to speak. Help me to speak only those things pleasing to you and to avoid those things that would not be pleasing. I lift up other life-giving churches to you and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I especially pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask that you will draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost, I pray. And I thank you for hearing our prayer that I pray today in the only name that matters. The marvelous name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel have gathered in a tent to complete a report of their findings from a secret mission from which they have just returned. A mission that took them across the Jordan River to assess the strengths and weaknesses of the territory known as Canaan. Once completed, the report was presented to Moses and the people of Israel, and from it, a plan of action will be developed. There's general consent among all the leaders that the land they have just explored is a bountiful 
fruitful place. As evidence, they have displayed on the ground in front of them figs and pomegranates, along with a grape cluster from the valley of Eshkol, so big it took two men to carry that pod of grapes suspended on a pole. The land is so rich and fertile, the only way they can describe it is to say it's a land flowing with milk and honey. When they turn their attention to the people of the land, they describe the inhabitants as strong and fierce warriors who live in walled cities built like fortresses that seem impregnable. Every one of the 12 leaders is ready to sign off on the details of the descriptions contained in the report. However, when it comes time to write the conclusion and the recommended plan of action, there is a sharp divide. Ten of the men conclude, even though the land is beautiful and fruitful, we should abandon the mission because of the great opposition we will encounter if we try to go in and possess it. The fear of what they had witnessed was evident on their faces. When they thought about the giants they had seen, the walled cities they had observed, and when they compared themselves to the men of Canaan, they said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Faced with seemingly insurmountable odds, they forgot the harsh lash of the whips of their Egyptian taskmasters from which they had been delivered only weeks before. Instead, they had this romanticized remembrance of the leeks and the garlic and the onions they ate in that land. Their conclusion read, we are not trained in battle, we aren't skilled warriors, until just a few days ago we were slaves, therefore we are not able to go up against the inhabitants of this land and possess the territory. That was the majority opinion. However, there was a dissenting opinion written by two of the men. They concurred with the report about the condition of the land and the people, yet their conclusion was exactly opposite. Their report said, it is a bountiful and fruitful land. Yes, there are walled cities and giants, and we will encounter strong opposition. However, the Lord has promised this land to us. And if the Lord delights in us, well, then he will bring us into this land. Everything else is secondary. All that matters is that the Lord is with us. Because God has promised the land to us, let us cross over because we are well able to overcome every obstacle and possess the promise. Same report, but different conclusions. Ten of the men measured the giants against the strength of the people of Israel. Two of the men measured the giants against the strength of the God of Israel. Ten men had great giants and a little God. Two men had a great God and little giants. Ten of the men focused on the opposition. Two of the men focused on the promise. Of the 12 spies, we only remember the names of the two who wrote the minority report. There was Joshua, who would later take the place of Moses as the leader of the children of Israel. And there was Caleb, the man who is the central character of the story from our text. Perhaps the most powerful testimony you will ever read 
is the testimony of Caleb, where at the age of 85, he says, I have wholly or I have completely followed the Lord. Because of Caleb's wholehearted trust in God, and because of his steadfast insistence that they should be obedient to the command of God and take possession of the promised land of Canaan, he was the only person other than Joshua who was part of the vast company that came out of Egyptian bondage that was permitted to enter the promised land. As we look at the story of Caleb on this Father's Day, I want to lift up for you four qualities that become a legacy for us to emulate. First of all, I want you to see that Caleb had a faith that never wavered. When there were 10 influential men who outvoted him, Caleb still had a faith that God would get the victory for them. When the odds were stacked against him, he kept insisting that God would come through. His faith in God and in the promise of God never wavered. You know, everybody else was grumbling and murmuring against the leadership of Moses. All they could see were impossible odds. But Caleb, uh, he was remembering the miraculous exodus out of bondage by the power of the blood of the Passover lamb. He was remembering the cloud by day and the fire by night that had guided and protected them on their journey. He was remembering the provision of manna on the ground and water flowing from a rock. He was remembering that the Lord delights in his chosen people. He was remembering the promises God had made. He was focused on the fact that with Almighty God on their side, they were fully able to overcome any obstacle that might be thrown in their path. Listen to God's testimony about Caleb in Numbers 14, 24. God said, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Notice, Caleb had a different spirit in him. When the entire nation had given in to fear, Caleb was filled with faith. When some of the people rose up against Moses, Caleb was his staunch defender. For 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, watching his friends and family die, knowing it didn't have to be this way, wanting so badly to say, I told you so. <laughs> we never see Caleb resorting to criticism. He kept his eye on the promise of God, never wavering. It didn't matter to him that Joshua was chosen to lead the people after the death of Moses. It didn't matter that he had to help fight all the battles in order to subdue the land. No one could ever point a finger at him and accuse him of shirking his duty or responsibility. His testimony rang true when he said, I have wholly followed the Lord. In all things, I have been faithful. He had a faith that never wavered. And I want you to know that God is looking for some people today who will live in such a way that this is your legacy as well. He's looking for somebody who will dare to say, no matter how the winds of adversity may blow across my life, I'm going to trust 
God. He's looking for a Job who will stand up and testify, even if God slays me, I will still trust him. He's looking for a psalmist who will testify, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's looking for an apostle who will be able to come down to the end of his life and testify, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I want to encourage somebody today who may have found yourself standing all alone against impossible odds. Why don't you take a moment and remember what God has already done for you? Why don't you, why don't you remember the links to which he has gone to secure your salvation? Why don't, re, why don't you remember the depths from which you have been pulled? Why don't you remember the hope and the assurance he has given? Why don't you remember the times when he made a way for you where there didn't seem to be any way possible? Why don't you remember the promises he's made to you? Why don't you encourage yourself in the Lord and in the truth of his word? I want to tell you, he hasn't gone to such great lengths in order to let you down now. He who has begun a good work in you has promised to bring it to completion. He will not let you fail. He will not let you fall. So lift up the hands that hang down and straighten those shoulders that sag and lift up your eyes that are downcast and refuse to give in to fear and to doubt and refuse to cave in to the pressure of the age. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't let your faith waver. and praise him about that. Why don't you just take a moment? Hallelujah. Thank you for your promise, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Still, I will trust you, Lord. Not only is there a legacy of faith that never wavers, but then we see in Caleb a strength that never weakened. One of my favorites in this story is verse 11 where Caleb says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now think about it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I just want you to... to Think, here's an 85-year-old man. And his testimony is, his strength has not weakened. I want to tell you, this is what happens when your faith is strong in the Lord. The blessing of God for the person whose faith does not waver is Deuteronomy 33, 25. As your days are, so shall your strength be. It's a strength that never weakens. This is the promise of Daniel 11.32. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. This is the promise of Isaiah 40 and 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is the promise of 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
But though our outer man is decaying, can I get a witness from somebody to testify that that's true? Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the strength you have when your faith doesn't waver. You know, when you look over into the next chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 15, you discover that of all the people who received an inheritance in the land of Canaan, Caleb was the only one who succeeded in completely driving out the enemy from the territory. In fact, the the last part of the book of Joshua is something of a letdown. It is, because it says over and over again, they were not able to drive them out. The iron chariots were too strong. The people were too fierce. They were not able to drive them out. But Caleb, ah, that's a different story. Even though there were three giants living in the portion allotted to Caleb, the Bible says he drove out all the enemy at 85 years old. Understand this. The man who wholly followed the Lord was the only one who was wholly victorious in the fight for possession of the land. There's a lesson here. If there are strongholds erected in your life, if there are giants in your life, first of all, it's never too late to deal with them. Maybe they've been around for a long time. Maybe you've struggled with them most of your life. This story teaches you don't have to have them around any longer. The way to remove them and gain the victory is to completely, wholly follow the Lord. And I want to tell you, it doesn't really matter how those giants gained entrance to your life. Maybe they came as a result of things that happened in your family generations before you were even born. And they've attached themselves and just kind of followed your family through the years. Maybe they seized territory in your life in the aftermath of a traumatic experience. However they were erected, those strongholds stand in opposition to the full inheritance of God's grace and power and glory being manifest in your life. So why not just go ahead and take a stand today? Why not stand in the promise of God? Instead of taking all this time and talking about, yeah, well, you know, this has been around for such a long time and I've just learned to deal with it. I've just learned to accept it. I've just learned to navigate. Why not seize your inheritance of victory? Why not today believe God for deliverance? Obey his precepts. Follow his plan. Y'all not praying hard enough for your pastor because all things are firing right now. See, what happens is we want to think, well, you know, I've been this good little church girl or I've been this good little church boy. But have you really, have you really sold out to Jesus? And we think, well, you know, I came to church and I did all the stuff that they say good little boys and girls are supposed to do. You know, I said my prayers at night and I read my chapter in the Bible and I, 
you know, I, I, I participated in the activities of the church. I got involved in some of the ministries, and I gave my tithes and my offerings, and I, you know, did all these things. And so, and it's still hanging around. All right, but is God really first place in your life? Is he really number one? Or is he just kind of added on? You know, kind of moving along. If you want deliverance, you're going to have to put him first. I mean, really first. And when you do that, and you obey his precepts, and you follow his plan. See, what happens is, we want God to deliver us our way. I want deliverance to come the way I want it. I want, to, I want God to, to take away this issue out of my life, but I still want to be able to do everything I want to do the way I want to do it when I want to do it. And God may say, you know, in order for, that to, in order for this to be removed, this issue to be removed from your life, you're going to have to take and make some other things your priorities. And you're going to have to lay some things aside. And, and we're not real good at wanting to lay things aside. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm trying to get off of this. I really am. I'm just trying to move on. But, but I got I to gotta keep drilling down for a little bit here on this. Y'all okay with this? I want to keep doing things the way I want to do them. I, and I'll just, I'll just you know, talk to God on my terms and on my time. And God said, no, it doesn't work that way. It's got to be my terms, my time. And it's not because God's trying to rain on your parade. It's not because God's trying to rob you of anything. It's because God knows that until you are fully sold out to him, you cannot really experience everything, the fullness that he has for your life. He has something so much greater for you in store, and you are afraid of that because you're afraid that somehow maybe I won't have enjoyment in life. You have never known joy until you know the joy that comes from being fully surrendered to Jesus. Follow his plan. Obey his precepts. Let his power fill you today. Receive his strength. Tear down every stronghold. Drive out every force that stands against the realization of the purpose of God in you. Somebody needs to draw a line in the sand and say, this is as far as it goes today. And drive out the enemy. And in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, refuse to pass those issues down to the next generation. Drive out the addiction. Drive out the depression. Drive out the anger and the temper and the jealousy and the pride. Drive out the insecurity. You cannot do it in your own ability. But you can do it in the strength God gives you as you trust in him you can do it in the confidence that if God is for you no one can stand against you you can do it in the place of assurance that in every place of adversity you are more than a conqueror through him you can do it with a settled security that it is not by might it is not by power it is by the spirit of the Lord you can do it with a determined resolve that some may boast in chariots and some may boast in horses but your boast is in the name of the Lord God Almighty. That's a strength that never weakens. There's a third quality to leave as a legacy. When you have a faith that never wavers and a strength that never weakens, this results in a blessing 
that never wasted. The story reveals that Caleb was able to conquer the land that was apportioned to him. But then when you follow the story a little further into the next chapter, you see that in chapter 15, his daughter Aksa got married. I want you to see this picture. Everybody loves weddings. They're festive occasions. The beautiful bride is positively glowing. Everyone is full of good wishes for the happy couple. At the end of the festivities, Caleb's daughter makes a special request of her father. In verse 19, she says, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. Dad, you've given me this fine piece of property as a wedding gift. But I got to tell you, it's pretty dry down there. I'm going to need some water in order to cultivate the land so it will be fruitful. How many of you dads have daughters? Let me see the hands of all the dads that have daughters. Okay, you know there's an easy way to find your daughter. Just look at your little finger. (laughs) She's wrapped there. And if you want to find where you are, you're wrapped right there around hers. Come on. Come on, dads. You know how it is with girls. And Caleb is like most fathers when it comes to his little girl. It's her wedding day. He wants his little girl to be happy. His little princess to be happy. And because he has followed the Lord fully, God has blessed him with plenty and to spare. And so the Bible says that Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And listen, listen, parents. You mark my words. When you serve the Lord with your whole heart today, it will result in blessings being visited upon your children tomorrow. You're not just living for yourself. You may never see all the fruit of your prayers in your lifetime. You may never see all the rewards of your faithfulness. You may never see all the rewards and the results of your obedience. But your children will see them. And your children's children will receive them. The blessings of the Lord are never wasted. Your faithfulness today is what will ensure blessings for your descendants in future generations. You aren't just living for yourself, but you can secure blessings and favor for your children and your grandchildren by faithfully serving the Lord today. I've told you this before, but I am constantly reminded that the reason I am where I am today, the reason I enjoy the blessing of God upon my life and in my home and on my ministry is because my parents and my grandparents and even my great-grandparents before them lived godly lives and walked uprightly before the Lord. Most of the blessings I am reaping today are not the result of my own deeds. They are some of the rewards from the faithfulness of my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents before me. 
I'm telling you that your labor is never in vain when it is for the Lord. He will see to it. He will see to it that the blessings that belong to your family are never wasted. This is part of the legacy you can give to those who follow after you. A faith that never wavered, a strength that never weakened, a blessing that never wasted. And finally, I want you to see the quality of a love that never waned. When Caleb was 40 years old, spying out the promised land, there was one place that captured his affection. The name of the place was Hebron. Situated on a rugged mountain, it was the most powerful stronghold of the enemy. And it was guarded by the strongest of giants. It was at Hebron that Abraham, years before, had pitched his tent. It was there that God had spoken to Abraham. It was there God had given him the promise of the entire land of Canaan. In the name Hebron is contained the meaning fellowship and love and communion. That was the place Caleb cherished. He wanted the place of fellowship, love, and communion with God. That was his mountain. He couldn't be satisfied with anything less. Never for one moment did he turn aside from pressing on to receive the promise and to seize his inheritance. This was the legacy that he left for generations that followed after him. He had a love that never waned. He said, in the, you know, he's helping them fight battles left and right, take Jericho, conquer AI, go through all of the battles that were going on, but he kept his eye on that one place of fellowship and love and communion. And I want you to know today that there is a place guarded by powerful forces, a rugged stronghold that Satan attempts to keep God's people from at all costs. He is prepared to barter portions of the land, He'll give you plains and valleys. He'll give you milk and honey. But anytime he sees a soul pressing toward the mountain of Hebron, the soul that is going to be satisfied with nothing in this life other than love, fellowship, and communion with God, that's when he is stirred to a last-ditch battle. There is a line in the vows of the old wedding ceremony. Some of you will remember this. Some of you probably said these when you got married that talks about forsaking all others and cleaving only to the person to whom you are being joined in marriage. Did anybody say something like that? Forsaking all and cleave only, you know, leaving and cleaving. You know. It isn't done by coercion or by trickery. It's done willingly. It's done as an expression of love. And that's what the Lord has in mind for us today. And I want to know today, do you love the Lord? I mean, do you love him with that forsaking all others kind of love? It is the person whose love never wanes that achieves the intimate communion and fellowship of the Lord. It is this person who leaves a meaningful, impactful legacy. Verse 14 of the text that we read, the Bible says, Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And then the last part of verse 15 says, Then 
the land had rest from war. This is the legacy you can leave when you wholly follow the Lord. Possession of the promise. Claiming your spiritual inheritance. Rest from warring against the enemy that would try to resist the fulfillment of God's promise and keep you from your destiny. Here's what I want to do. I want to live in such a way, and I want to defeat, I want to defeat the demons that come against my life and my family so that my kids and my grandkids never have to face those demons. They're going to have their own. They're going to have their share. I don't want to pass any of mine along to them. I want to take care of business. What a powerful legacy you can leave. A faith that never wavers. Strength that never weakens. A blessing that never wastes. A love that never wanes. I want to finish up this way, if you'll indulge me. A number of years ago, John Moore wrote a song that was popularized by Christian artist Steve Green. The song is titled, Find Us Faithful. This song captures this idea of legacy so beautifully to my mind. So if you'll indulge me before we get out of here, I want to share that with you. This becomes my prayer for me, and I hope it will become a prayer for you as well. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way. Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary. Their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us 
find us faithful After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone and our children sift through all we've left behind May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. that we leave, lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. we live, inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Stand with me, please. Is there anybody else in this house who would say, I, I, I want that prayer to be real in my life. May those who come behind me find me faithful. Let's just take a moment and talk to the Lord about that. <laughs> 